Good morning, ladies. How's everybody? Good, good, good. Um, I got to say, I am so excited to be up here. And you know what? I think like, every person who comes up to speak, they always say that, right? But I mean it. <laughs> and I'm saying it because it's a miracle. I shouldn't be excited to be up here. Um, I was thinking this morning, I'm, my, the theme of what I'm talking on is transformation. And I just really don't want don't to have to cry. The theme is transformation. And um, sorry, as I get settled here. And I've only been at Creekside a couple of years. Um, so there's nobody in here who knows me, really. Not who I was back from the time I was a kid until who I am today. And man, let me tell you, I am not the same woman. <laughs> I struggled uh, desperately with shyness. I couldn't, um, at 25, I don't even think I could go in and order a hamburger myself. I'd never sit in a restaurant by myself. Um, I couldn't, I was so glad I was born into the age of uh, gas stations having ATMs, you know, because I didn't have to ask anybody for gas. I didn't want to ask anything. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, but that's not even the biggest transformation. And I could be up here for 10 hours telling you all the things <laughs> that I would want to share about the goodness of God. Um, and so I kind of wanted to share my testimony, and I'm not. I'm not going to share it because there's not enough time. But God was so good in the shower that he reminded me of how I could do it. <laughs> and so, I don't know, in this room, how many of you know and are familiar with the book Redeeming Love? Probably a lot of you. If you haven't read the book, maybe you saw the movie. I know the book came out in the 90s, right? So I think every woman, Christian woman in the 90s read it. Um, and then maybe their daughters after them. So I, this book has been sitting on my desk all week while I was preparing for this message because um, I kept feeling like this is a story of transformation. It's a story of a woman who had a very broken, broken past that caused her to fall into a horrible sexual sin and prostitution. And a man comes along who was told by God to marry her and to take her as his bride. And of course, the author Francine Rivers has done a fabulous job of making a fiction story out of a biblical story, Hosea being told to marry Gomer. So this is the story of my life. I was Angel, you know, and maybe not to the degree that Angel was, but I was lost in a lot of darkness and um, sexual sin. And that was 34, 35 years ago. And this was the other book that at the end of my talk today, I'm going to raffle this off to whoever the Lord wants to give it to. But he reminded me in the shower today that, I, that redeeming love has rescued and transformed me because of the power of love and beholding his face for the last 30 years in as many dysfunctional and weak ways that I knew how to do it that I've been growing in. So are you catching the ladies? Are you catching the vision, ladies, of love? Because, you know, Paul's letter can be really looked at as very doctrinal and theological, and so many people have written countless commentaries on Paul's words. But I'm starting to really hear Paul's writing as a love story, right? He always starts out with, what has God done for us? And then after, he tells us all about what God has done for us. 
He says, now, how are you going to respond to such a love, right? So, as I said, I'm going to be talking to you today about transformation. Becoming who you actually already are. Um, so what I've been learning, especially over the last five years or so, is that spiritual transformation comes from being and knowing that you're loved. It's not by being made to try harder and be better. It happens when we focus on the source of our power, which is Jesus, and the gift we have been given for change, and not on the problems or the sins. You know, I think the message of the gospel a lot of times at least in my church culture experience, has focused a lot on sin. And yes, it's, I don't want to discount that. We are sinners who need to be saved by grace. But if we're constantly focusing on the sin, we miss what it is that God wants to do in our life. And I think that that's a strategy of the enemy, right? To get us like, don't do this, don't do that. And our flesh is just made that when it's told not to do something, it wants to do it. So we need to change that focus. If you're a sin-focused person, I want today to be the day that you change and you're a love-focused person. You're being loved. So I'm going to say that part again, that spiritual transformation comes from being and knowing that you're loved, not by being made to try harder or be better. So I think that this is the point that Paul is wanting to make for us here. But I'm going to back up. The last time I was up here, we talked about the gift of the gospel. That was Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're not in this by ourselves anymore. The most fabulous news and the most fabulous gift ever given. So I'm going to repeat myself a little bit here, but God, through Jesus, made a way for all of creation to be reconciled back into his presence. The garden, in a sense, of Eden is open again. We spent the last six weeks soaking in what all the gospel and Jesus have done for us. Hopefully, it's having an impact on your heart. I would love to like, be able to sit with each of you in here. Like, what is this doing for you? I hope your faith is growing. But now, this week, we come to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. And this is where the rubber meets the road, kind of. Paul is going to take a turn. He's been explaining the gospel and making sure his readers knew that they do not need to look anywhere else for their salvation, their life, their wisdom, their healing. Jesus is it, right? Jesus alone is enough. So by now, I'm sure you've gotten that message. So now he turns the corner and he says, therefore, in light of all this truth about your new life in Christ, it's time for you to start growing up and becoming who you already are before God. It's time to unwrap the gift of Christ. So let's talk about gifts for a second. So I have three girls uh, they're pretty picky, and um, we don't have the same taste. <laughs> but every year, I try to find them the perfect gift uh, that they have wanted and needed all year long, one that will bring them joy on their face when I watch them open it. And ultimately, it's really the best when they open it, and they're so excited that they actually use the gift, and they enjoy it to its fullest, <laughs> right? Right? You're like, you get them that thing, you're like, oh, you want it, and you're like, where is it? So, and that's, that's the point, right? The flip side is that there's nothing more disappointing than you search high and low and you go to great lengths to get someone a gift that you know they really, really need. And the next time you see them, that gift has been put aside. Or it's left in a closet somewhere and they never take the time to enjoy it and receive the benefits of a gift. 
So one question I want to start with here today for all of us is, what? <laughs> what have you been doing with the gift of Jesus Christ? Are you enjoying it and partaking in it of its every resource, walking in the power, blessing, and inheritance of it all? Or is it sitting on a shelf? Or is it somewhere in between? Because there's all different ways that we can actually um, hold on to this gift. But after today, I hope to convince you even more that it is your very life and something you don't want to be without. So that's where we're going to land today. You've gotten your gift. It's everything that you need. And I mean everything. God the Father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit would love to see each one of us engaging and partaking of that gift constantly and reaping the benefits. It has so much to give us. You and I, we were in a pickle on our own. And one day, your world got interrupted by the Spirit of God. Mine did, for sure, in the message of the gospel. And when you believed that message, he implanted a seed in you. It was a seed of faith, love, and righteousness. That seed was going to take root and begin to grow. And it was a chance for you and I to get out of the slums of poverty. This gift... It even comes with a promise <laughs> that the one who gave it to you, he's going to make sure it does what it's supposed to do. It's like getting the gift that has the batteries in it already, right? <laughs> but even better than that, that's kind of a, that's, that's taking it down too low. But Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us fixing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. So I'm going to take a little side note here, and I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning for a reminder of who we were made to be. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humans in our image after our likeness. That was a little phrase I never paid attention to until this week. <laughs> I always got the in our image, but after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That was our original purpose. We were made in his image and in his likeness. So what I learned in preparing for this was that at some level in my church life, I was taught or I caught that after the fall and being separated from God, there was nothing good in me, nothing good at the core of who I am, and nothing good in anyone else, outside of Christ, that is. That shaped a lot of how I felt about myself and about others. But here in Genesis, I was reminded that the core of who I am, I am still an image bearer of Christ, and so is every other human being. Even before salvation in Christ, God put his image on every human. That's what makes us unique and the crowning glory of his creation. What was actually lost in the garden was not his image, but his likeness. We were no longer like him. We became broken emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. Our ability for goodness on our own was lost. But now, in Christ Jesus, we are being invited back to be restored into his likeness. That's what we need, and that's what the world needs. That's what the world needs us to be, right? Goodness and righteousness, peace, love, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, long-suffering. 
So now we're going to get started. We're going to read Paul's instructions, and we're going to look at how through the gospel, his likeness can be restored in us. Again, the word transformation. So I'll read from Colossians 3, 1 through 4 to get us started. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking, or other translations, set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will be revealed in glory with him. In these four verses, Paul has summed up our complete oneness and union with Christ, again, as our motivation for our new behaviors and habits. Transformation. At the moment of belief, we died with him on the cross. Our sin, our shame, our debts, gone, nailed to the cross. We then were raised to new life spiritually with him. Now spiritually we are in power and authority with him over all things, even the devil, death, and sin. We have direct access to the Father. We're basically sitting on Jesus' lap. (laughs) Constant communion, perfect love. That's the heavenly place. That's the heavenly perspective. That's our position in the spiritual realm before God. Every spiritual blessing and resource is yours and mine. And because of that, our hearts and our minds should be and can be focused on him and the promises and our new position. I kind of see that picture of Genesis 126 coming together again. What a, what a positive mindset to live in, right? I mean, if we could just stay there. But snap back to reality, and we can see for now we're still here. We're sitting in this room right now together, flesh and bone, little women not feeling too powerful, walking around down here on planet Earth, struggling with this mortal fleshly body that hasn't officially died yet. While I'm trying to be heavenly-minded, I keep being distracted by every earthly thing imaginable, right? <laughs> this is the tension that we live in. But we no longer need to stay earthly focused anymore. That's gone. We died to that life. We have to keep reminding ourselves of the truth because what our flesh feels is so strong. It still wants to control us. You remember when Paul prayed in the beginning in chapter 1, verse 9 through whatever, 14, I think that's when I was up here. He prayed for us to be able to know the knowledge of the will of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That prayer starts to make more sense when you're like going, mm, you got to really know this. you got to be able to have power to say no to the feelings. So no matter how we feel now, the reality is there is a future coming. So you might feel like, ugh, dragged down. I don't feel like i got any power in me. But there is a real future coming for you, as Paul tells us here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you're also going to appear with him in glory. That's the proof, the fact that it's already done. He'll be dressed in those righteous, beautiful, perfect robes with Christ in glory. Is a picture of that beautiful bride of Christ. That is us now and in the future. It's an already and a not yet, to use a phrase that somebody out there has made a long time ago, which I think is great. So since that is who we are, even though we don't yet see it completely, Paul now urges us to start moving in that direction. It's time to believe and to respond to who you are, where you are seated, who you are seated with, and the power and love that wants to restore you to his likeness, one step at a time. It's the motivation to stop looking down at the earthly. We can so easily live in the negative realm, the sadness, the pain of the earth, the old life, 
But remember that every painful place is just a part of us that is longing for transformation. So we can use that as an avenue to go, ah, yes, I'm feeling this, and it should be that which pushes me toward the source of my power again. So we want to let go of these things that so easily trip us up and keep your mind and heart on the promises of Christ. Let's change our focus. Right here, we need to insert a whole other teaching on how do you do that, right? I don't have time. But we don't, uh, but still, renewing our minds and practice, practicing new spiritual disciplines is going to be at the core of that. So hopefully you guys can even talk about that stuff in your discussion group time. But Hebrews 12 is a very, very, very favorite verse of mine, all of 12. But 1 through 3 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And here's the rest of that again, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Paul goes on to say, Because of your position in Christ, you died and new life, Christ's life, has been put in you and on you. So, 5 through 11, put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth, sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. You see, that first list um, that we were reading, it robbed us of our humanity. Um, this list right here robs us of our humanity. Um, and so he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And I don't think I need to remind you, but the world is severely broken, and so are you and I. Evil passions, sexual morality, addictions, depression, suicide, anger, rage, jealousy, greed, selfishness, division, lying, manipulation, to name just a few, are rampant in both unbelievers and believers. These things... Left unchecked, they bring devastation and ultimately destruction to those living in them and even to those around them. And as we know, being a believer doesn't exempt us from still struggling with such dark sins. But Paul is making it clear that you have died to these things. But you have to reckon it in your mind. You have to determine that in your mind, that you are dead. And then seek the power of the promises of God to set you free. These don't have power to control you anymore. We, as I said before, we can feel controlled by them, but we must allow the truth to help set us free. In our passage, again, Paul said, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. I thought, well, wow, how do you talk about the wrath of God? But that's not to scare us or make us think God is mean or angry. This reveals God's intense love for his creation. He is that protective, loving father that, of course, is angry when the object of his love is losing its soul. He is being patient and calling everyone to run into his arms and find their rescue right now from that way of life and from the wrath to come. So like any good father, he has to put an end to that which destroys the objects of his love eventually, right? So Paul's going to finish his instruction here in verses 8 through 10. You also lived your lives in this way at one time when you used to live among them. But now put off all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its practices and have been clothed with the new man that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. There's that answer to that prayer again. Now these sins rob us of community with one another. Because these are sins that we actually kind of, you know, do just in our everyday relational type 
conversations and stuff. Um, so as a reminder, again, there's an end goal to this new life and love we've been given in Christ, and that is to let it consume us, to take us over, and to push out the old life. In other words, you've got to receive it. Accept it. Why? Because the old way wasn't working. <laughs> it was devouring those in its path. It still is. The old way wasn't connected to its maker who knows how to do life. You don't have to work for this either. It's available to you in Christ who is your life. Now that we have Christ, we don't have to allow these devastating and destructive habits and sins to remain in our lives. Because of our oneness with Jesus, every power of his is our power too. Remember that? We learned that in some of our verses in 1 and 2. God's kingdom wants to invade this dark world and bring light to all who will receive it. We are his representatives. He led the way by living as a man and overcoming these sins because of the love of the Father alone. We can often think, oh, Jesus was God. No, it was much more easier for him. It's like, no, remember, he let go of that. He divested himself of the power of God to truly live as a man so that he could actually be that model and show us it was his reliance upon the love of the Father. It was reliance upon what he knew the plan of salvation was. So that tells us we also, with him in us, we can do that. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You ladies know all of this stuff. I asked God at the beginning of this, like, Lord, you just need to teach me. I just need to know what this is all about. So I'm just sharing with you what he taught me. <laughs> and uh, it's been a glorious, well, you guys should all try this sometime. It's really glorious. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful adventure. Um, so as I said, this gift we have comes with a promise that the giver will see to it that it springs to life and that it can bear fruit. That doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. The more we believe the promises, pursue and participate with him in the process, the quicker and the more we experience the new life. And the opposite is going to be true of that too. You can be saved and you can have all these wonderful resources, but if you don't look to them, you don't participate with them, you're going to still be living as if you hadn't gotten new life. Right? And so I think there's a whole gamut of, of throughout our journey that we're in one of those places. You know, I at least spent 10 years not having any power and running back like angel, trying to run back to my old life, run back and think that sexual sin and men thinking that I was valuable was worth me doing. And, and God was so patient with me, so patient with me. And he just kept doing what Michael did in the book, just telling me, no, 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 I love you. Come back to me. I love you. Come back to me. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, why am I running to these things that don't really love me? <sighs> Have you noticed that Paul didn't write this letter in a tone where he was rebuking them saying, hey, stop going after those false teachers. Stop trying to find the way through empty traditions and stop all that bad behavior I've heard is still going on in your life. No, Paul's letter is not intended to come across as, hey, I'm writing to you because you've got to do better or try harder kind of thing. Nope, he spent the first half of the letter really explaining to them the love story they were caught up in. And he showed us his heart of how much he himself was struggling and longing for them to lay hold of these truths and have full assurance to stay on track and to grow in love. He understood that the moment of our eyes being open to salvation is just the beginning. Now comes the work of believing and living into the life we've been given. So part of the life on offer to us now is to let it replace the destructive patterns that we once lived in. 
That's what Paul's been taking us through. But I think there can still be a bit in us that sees it as a list of things i got to do to make God happy. It's not. Jesus is life, and he is the life that we need. He wants us to have it not for his sake, but for ours and his. See, salvation is more than forgiveness of my sins. If it was just forgiveness, he could have forgiven it and said, okay, it's all forgiven. See you later. No, 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 no. It's way more than that. Paul has taught us that Jesus died not only to forgive us of our sins, but to reconcile us back to God. I read earlier this week in a beautiful book called Beholding, which is this book right here. It's by Strong Coleman. Quote, forgiveness wasn't Christ's ultimate goal on the cross. Reconciliation was. And there is an important difference. Reconciliation literally means the restoration of friendship. This is profound, and it changes everything about the way we think about our relationship with God, and especially in prayer. Jesus has restored our friendship with God. Do you see the love in his eyes? He truly is your best friend, and he has the power to be your best friend. This transformation is not easy. And I can say, I've, I've showed you the books here, Redeeming Love to Beholding. There's been 35 years in between, and I'm still a mess. <laughs> but the more I behold his face, the more I am changing every day, even though it's slow. On our side, it comes through the struggle of still making a choice of recognizing and letting go of lifelong habits that we've formed and replacing them with new. It comes through recognizing and acknowledging past trauma and pain. It comes with realizing we need to let go of control and selfishness, and that's just to name a few. But now as we make these choices, we have someone with us to help us find the desire and the strength to overcome. This is a gift that is meant to be enjoyed and partaken of every single day, every moment of the day, for every need in the day. There is no struggle too great or sin too ugly for us to go and ask for his help. In fact, we must. It's important to remember that like a seed, that I talked about that little seed that went into your heart, as that seed goes into the ground, it takes a long time for that seed to grow into a tree that produces fruit that is both edible satisfying and nutritious. I'm just, I'm just thinking about like, gosh, I was worthless the first 10 years, <laughs> you know? But 30 years later, it's like I have something to say. I can tell you how good he is. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. Where was I? Uh, yes, okay, it takes a long time to satisfying and nutritious fruit to come. That doesn't give us an excuse to say, oh, it's too hard. It's taking too long. I trusted Jesus to forgive my sins. That's good enough. And you know that happens. We do that. <laughs> nope. We need to keep remembering that we were made for more. We are made to be little replicas of the image of God made in his likeness. And our souls are actually not even fully satisfied until we get there. We're made to be free of sin and death. We must endure and stay the course. This process that we've been talking about has a fancy name, and most of you probably in here already know it, uh, but the process of God's transforming work in us is called sanctification. So I thought I should probably like give you somebody else's words a little bit here before I end. Um, so from a commentary I read from Miles Stanford, 
This is small writing. The new man was put on when we were recreated in the Lord Jesus. This new nature is the very life of the one who is the express image, thank you, of God. Therefore, okay, so this, you know, commentary is going to get a little wordy. So, like, just try to hang with me here and listen. Therefore, our growth in the knowledge of him results in the manifestation of his life. So there's that thing again. Growing in the knowledge of him will result in his life coming forth. For years, we try to handle the problem of sin and self directly, right? On the negative side, we seek to suppress that self or crucify the old nature all by ourselves. On the positive side, we plead with God. I can tell you years and years written in my journal, please, God, take this away, right? We're just pleading. But we never seem to emerge from the Romans chapter 7 of total defeat. It's like, all the things I want to do, I don't do. All the things I don't want to do, I do. But finally, we learn to meet the problem indirectly by reckoning. There's that word again, determining in your mind. We see in the word that the old man has been effectively put off at the cross. And we also see that the new man has been put on through the resurrection of Christ. So instead of being taken up with the problem, we now set our mind and heart on God's answer, the crucifying cross and the risen Christ. So what are you doing with the gift of Christ? Are you tired of feeling frustrated and defeated in an area of your life? Are you tired of struggling with the same sins? Maybe you don't find yourself in that first category of sexual sins, but maybe there are still things you struggle with that you know you're hurting your relationships with others or keeping you hiding from God. Our old nature doesn't just go away on its own. It's stubborn, and it needs to be told to go. We need help. We need to be willing to look inside and be real with the struggles we have and then look to Jesus and ask him for the help to put these things off, put them to death. The body of Christ is also a resource to help us get our grave clothes off. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, he asked the community around him to remove his grave clothes. We need trusted, mature believers around us to help remove our grave clothes. And I hope that our nurture groups can actually be that for us. We can't put on new ones over the old ones either, ladies. (laughs) And we try to do that. That creates a false and a pretend self. But the Jesus we now, what with Jesus, we now have the power to remove the old nature first and then allow the new nature to come on. And Priscilla is going to be talking to us about that new nature next week. <laughs> Transformation always begins with a death. It began with the death of Jesus. He opened the way up for transformation. Now it's going to be little deaths that we die to every day to the old way of life. And then comes a resurrection on the other side of each of those little deaths, new life. The gospel is a love story. God is loving us back into wholeness, restoring his likeness in us one step at a time, one wound at a time, one moment of shame at a time, one sin at a time. He isn't demanding it. He is offering it to you. His solution is himself. Seek me. Set your mind on me. Ask me. Fix your gaze upon me, not on the earthly anymore. He can do it, but you must go. You must acknowledge what's in you. The message that, this is funny, because I spent all this time, like 14 pages, right, (laughs) of learning these things from God, and then yesterday morning, I'm like brushing my teeth, and I get this like, boom, 
I just get this like message in my heart. And I had to run into my office and just start writing it down. And I think this is probably the only thing he really wants to say to you ladies today. All that other stuff was just for me. But I think, I've never had this before, but I think this is a prophetic word. <laughs> um, so I really want you just to hear this. If you need to close your eyes, do so. If not, but this is what he said to me when I was brushing my teeth. <laughs> Lord, I just want to pray right now. Your presence has been with me all my life. You've been with each one of these ladies. Help us to hear your word to us today. May your presence be felt. Since you are so loved, let me set you free from that old life. It's still there waging war against you right now in the physical. We need to do this together. It's the way I designed it to work. And I know at first you're going to kick and scream and want to give up because facing these struggles of sin is hard. But if you will rest in my arms and trust me and then do what I say, you will find life in all of its abundance, even in this world. You will have a smile on your face with a joy that is unspeakable, even in the midst of trial, because you've come to know the truth. You will sense my presence. You will know I'm at work. I will take the rest of your life. It will take the rest of your life, but I will be walking with you every step of the way. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to run anymore. You don't have to live in the pig pen of the world and its empty pleasures. Come to me and let me love you into wholeness and health. Let me remove your shame and bind up your wounds. Keep seeking me with your heart through prayer. Keep setting your mind and your thoughts on me and my promises through prayer. Stay in my word on your own and with others and soak in it and pray for more understanding of it all. Connect yourself to an authentic body of believers you can pray with and be vulnerable with. Be patient. Trust me. You are my beloved, and I am yours. You were made in my image, and I will restore you to my likeness. And when I appear, you will appear with me in glory. That was the end of that word. I have one more quick quote, kind of quick. <laughs> I heard somebody say, and I thought it was powerful. It was powerful for me. Every soul burdened by sin, remember, what we always have available is the image of God inside of us. He has stitched himself to you. We breathe the breath he first breathed into our lungs. Just remembering that can bring us out. He comes to the places in our lives where we are hiding, and he shows us he can sit there with us. He can love us. We heal as we simply watch him love us in the places that are hardest for us to look at. In order to be close to God, you have to be close to yourself and what is happening inside. Some of the most painful moments of your life, the things lingering and nagging in your life as places of shame, because that's where God is now, and he is waiting for you there. So what are you doing with this gift of Christ Jesus that is all yours? Whatever it is, Jesus always has more for you. So through prayer and study and silence, seek his presence. Keep thinking on the wonderful promises and new life and power you have. Make Jesus your life, and his life will become yours. Thank you, ladies.
I have a really fun thing though. You guys got raffle tickets at your table. And because this, was, this has been such a powerful truth in my life of learning to behold the face of God, um, I think that this book has been really uh, significant in helping me learn a lot of these things, this and other books that have gone along with it. So you each have a ticket. And I said, Lord, who do you want to have this book today? So let's see. The number is 4534. Yay. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much.